As you may know, we are in a series, a sermon series right now on the book of James. We've covered chapters 1 and 2 so far, and today we get into chapter 3. It's been alluded to that chapter 3 is kind of about our speech and our words and how we talk. Well, I want to take um, kind of a, a story I've, I've shared before, take a little bit different angle on it and, as a way to, to get us into this chapter in the book of James. There are two churches— in one church, uh, they're having church service, and they're about to take communion, and people are bringing the elements forward for the church to come and take communion when the person who's holding all the grape juice trips and spills grape juice anywhere, causing, uh, oh no, you know, carpet stains and things like that. <laughs> and as uh, the, there's a kind of a collective <gasps> in the church, the priest says, or the pastor says, sternly, we must be more careful with the elements of the sacred Eucharist. In another church, same situation. They're gathering for communion. The elements are being brought forward when um, there is another person holding the grape juice or the wine, and they trip, and it goes everywhere. But in this situation, the priest says, or the pastor says, this is a table of forgiveness. We are all priests. So here are kind of a series of questions. Which of these two congregations would you see it more likely that when the people gather together, based just on the words of the priest, which congregation do you think congregants sit there and make sure that everything's happening just right, that they're standing when they need to stand and sitting when they need to sit and coming forward when they need to, and, and then they're, they're, yep, yep, they can go forward and take communion. And in which congregation do you think it's more likely that the congregants are thinking as the elements are bringing, being brought forward, this is a time of God's forgiveness and God's grace to be celebrated. God is looking on us with love and mercy. In which congregation, uh, when someone makes a mistake, do you think it's more likely that there is an emphasis on correction or that there's there's a more propensity for judgment? And in which congregation does it seem like when someone makes a mistake, there is a propensity to grace, a reminder who we are in Jesus? Now, I've kind of set up um, some uh, stark contrast here, but that is the way of James. Based on the words of these two priests, these pastors, and these two churches, which church would you rather be associated with? Me? I'll take the second one. Not all should be teachers, James says, because you will be judged more strictly. Uh, This could be true with God. seems that way. It is certainly true with people. Anyone who has been a preacher or a teacher knows this to be true. Whether they be in a church or teachers in the classroom or leaders of organizations uh, or heads of a family, those who are in places of leadership, um, there's more suggestions that come your way, are there not? It's true. We have a tendency in the West as Christians when we come to the Bible, to read it in a very individualistic 
way. When oftentimes the Bible has in mind a more collective uh, thing in mind. Let me give you an example right here in James. Look at verse 2. Our translations, and I think this is a good translation, but it says this. Humor me here. I think this is really important. If uh, we all make many mistakes, it says in verse 2, but if we control our tongues, we'd be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Literally, here is what it says there. It says, everyone makes all kinds of mistakes, uh, but if a person speaks without mistakes, that person is, uh, I prefer a translation that says fully mature. And then it says this, able to bridle the whole body. You may have a Bible translation in front of you that translates it that way. Able to bridle the whole body. Now, if we're reading this as uh, an individualistic way, we might think that James's point is, if I can control my tongue, I can control the rest of my physical body, right? But there might be another way uh, to read this. I think it's a better way. And that is to read it more collectively. That the body here does not refer to my individual physical body, but the church. Kind of like how Paul uses it sometimes. And James's point is that when we speak properly, we are able to lead and direct the community in the right way. Um, this is a more collective reading. I think it's a better reading. I think it makes better sense of, of the idea and the role of teachers in the community. I think it fits better with the ultimate goal of this chapter, which is peace in the community. And I think it fits better with the examples that come immediately after James writes this. For he says that the speech of a leader or a teacher is like a bridle in a horse's mouth, can steer the whole horse. The words of a teacher or a leader are like the rudder on a ship, right? It can, it can influence the direction of even a gigantic ship. The way that a speaker, or I'm sorry, the way that a leader speaks, uh, the way that a teacher, a preacher, a pastor, CEO, the leaders, the way they talk influences the whole community. The way that a teacher speaks to a class, we're on the cusp of school, it's not just what information that the class learns that gets shaped by the teacher, but it influences the way students feel about themselves, how they feel about education, how they view their fellow classmates. The way that a mother or a father speak in leading their family not only shapes the preferred behavior of the children, it also shapes the values and the priorities of the family how peace is maintained. The way that a coach speaks to her team influences the team, shaping not only the athlete's technique, but also the athlete's understanding of what makes them valuable to the team. One last example, because it's where James starts. The way that a preacher or a teacher speaks about faith 
and God and people not only influences how we read the Bible or think about theology, but also how we open our hearts to God and to one another and how we seek peace, which again, in James chapter 3, is the ultimate goal. Teachers and leaders have tremendous influence to shape a group, to steer a group. And this can be for better or this can be for worse. James goes on to say that the words of a leader, the words of a teacher, can set things on fire and destroy them. But words can also heal. They can build up, but they can also tear down. Words can bless and they can curse, right? And this is perplexing. James goes on to give examples that highlight just the the strangeness of how our words can be so inconsistent. We can tame animals. Why can't we tame our mouths? We bless God, but then we curse God's prized creation, people. Uh, You know, we're like a water spring that bubbles up sewage every now and again, or a fig tree that makes olives. What is going on? This doesn't make any sense. Reminds me of this uh, line. What James is doing here reminds me of of a line from a movie. There's a gentleman. He's uh, trying to pursue the affections of a a woman. He's in love. But everything's falling apart. Everything's going wrong. So he seeks the counsel of his friend, and his friend just keeps kind of describing to him and explaining the situation, and this must be tough. And, And finally the man says, listen, I'm drowning, and you're describing the water, he says. That seems to be what James is kind of doing. But James does provide a remedy here in the the second half of this chapter. And it has to do with wisdom. Wisdom, James says, there are two types of wisdom. Uh, This reminds me of that familiar trope, right? Um, There are two types of people in the world. (laughs) Uh, For example, there are morning people and people who want the morning people to go away. (laughs) But James talks about wisdom in very stark, uh, very starkly, in two very opposed, opposite ways. There's one kind of wisdom that comes from the world, or, uh, as he goes on to say, comes also from the diabolical forces in the world. This kind of wisdom leads to disorder and evil. It leads to... um, Discord. It comes from selfish ambition in our hearts, jealousy uh, and the like. And then there is a wisdom, James says, that comes from above, comes from God, our Father. He gives eight characteristics to this wisdom. And I wanted to give a, a, a real brief look at each one of these things because um, it would be an incredible exercise sometime this week for us to take the time and to think about each of these characteristics, where they show up in our lives, both that which we have received and that which we can offer, especially in the context we find ourselves and the leadership positions we find ourselves, the places of influence where we find ourselves because our words have such power to influence. A 10-second comment can sit with someone for 10 years. 
So how does James describe wise speech, the wisdom that influences how we talk? The first word he uses, and he calls it the first thing, the most important thing, uh, in Greek, agnos, pure, holy, undefiled, not tainted by the way the world wants to talk, the way that the world wants to um, uh, be wise. So that's the first one. That wisdom from above is pure, holy, right? It's different. It's different. Second, it is peaceful. I, um, one lexicon, I, I read this word, this Greek word, and it, it gave this example or this definition, which I really like. It is free from anxiety or inner turmoil. Think about how often we speak as we're just anxiety-ridden. We want to speak from a place of peace. Third, EPA case. It's like gentleness plus forbearance or uh, patience. A word might be considerate. Wisdom is considerate of the other person. In the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 2, this word is the opposite of quarrelsome. So whatever the opposite of that is, you know, someone trying to stir up dissension and someone with their words trying to whip up people to get quarrelsome. Well, it's the opposite of that. This fourth one is, to me, the most striking of them all. Um, I've mentioned on a few occasions this Bible study group I'm a part of uh, in the mornings, and this is the one where we have spent the most time. You pay face. And depending on the translation you have, it may come out very differently. Open to reason is one way to think of it. Compliant, uh, the New International Version, inexplicably to me, uses the word submissive. Another way to think of it is accommodating, willing to yield. I think a good way to think about it is willing to listen, willing to hear someone out, especially as the leader of a group or an organization, the CEO perhaps. Um, The good old King James Version translates this term this way. uh, Easy to be entreated. The image that comes to my mind is, I don't know why all my examples this morning are um, people spilling things, Um, but the example that comes to my mind is a family sitting around the table and they're having spaghetti with red sauce. And one of the children, uh, this never happens in my house, uh, is being a little wild, not paying attention, and here goes the, you know, um, how does that old song go on top of spaghetti? Spaghetti all covered with, with cheese. I lost my meatball. Um, you can't hear it, but Pastor Tim is um, giving us a, uh, a rousing rendition of this song right now. <laughs> but imagine that. The child spills the spaghetti all over the floor, all over their clothes, all over the table, all over the chair. 
and the child looks up at mom and dad. Are mom and dad easily entreated? Will mom and dad hear them out? Or not? I think that's what this word is getting at. The child will make the case. Does the child believe they will be heard? This is not about being, this word is not about being a doormat or um, always being quiet. This word is about being a position of influence and hearing out another person, listening to them. That's what this word means, euphethes. Wisdom is full of mercy. And in the Bible and in the New Testament, this term mercy means it is um, compassion directed towards those in trouble, to those who are on the fringe, to those who are in need. Does our speech um, take those who are in need into consideration and speak mercifully of them? Filled with good fruit. In the New Testament, this always means just about the same thing. Action. Action that honors God and action that honors Jesus. And then the last couple terms here, adiacritos, without prejudice, impartial, um, which of course demands that we seek where our prejudices might be and open ourselves to God to direct us to um, what those might be. Ahupokritos, <laughs> you may have heard it, hupokritos, hypocrite. Wisdom from God is not hypocritical. It's sincere. It, it, it matches a life. These are the words that James use, uses to describe wisdom from above in the context of how we talk, how we talk with each other, how we talk about each other, how we talk about our friends, how we talk about our enemies. It seems to me uh, that the world so often scorns these characteristics. We live in a very cynical age. And the qualities that James describes here, I'm going to put them in front of me again, to be peaceful, peaceful and gentle, open to listening, Merciful. It seems to me oftentimes the world mocks these things as wimpy. Well, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Critics of these uh, characteristics can sometimes sound wise, but that's a different kind of wisdom now. Griping and complaining sometimes seem right. But James cuts right through that. If you have bitterness or envy in your heart, don't boast about it or tell lies against the truth. True wisdom from above, these eight characteristics, the truth is they are hard to acquire. They are difficult to maintain. And more often than not, when God's wisdom like this is lived out, It comes at personal cost. 
Living the wisdom of God requires prayer and discernment and humility. The humility to say, I will walk with Jesus. And I will talk like Jesus. There is an entire buffet of name-calling and demonizing that we could eat from if we want to. But James warns against it. Um, I have uh, recommended these <clears throat> little commentaries in the past. Um, these uh, the For Everyone series, the New Testament ones written by Tom Wright. And I wanted to share um, an observation he makes about this Bible passage as it pertains to our world now. This uh, was written in 2000, I think, 11. So almost 10 years ago. We are faced then with two kinds of wisdom. And this is a word for our day. There are so many people across the world fed up with the way their country is run, with the way their police force behaves, with the way the global economy functions, so on and so on. And often these criticisms are fully justified, as they certainly would have been in James' own day. So the challenge for God's people About the way, the, uh, I'm sorry, let me say that again. So then the challenge for God's people is to be able to tell the truth about the world the way it is and about the way wicked people are behaving without turning into a perpetual grumble. And in particular, without becoming someone whose appearance of wisdom consists of being able to find a cutting word to say about everyone and everything. Because there are plenty of people who do that. It's just one cutting comment after another. But there is still, after all, a vast amount of beauty and love and generosity and sheer goodness in the world. And those who follow Jesus ought not only to be celebrating it, but contributing, it to, uh, contributing to it as the old saying goes, it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. It is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness indeed. And for James, the candle we need to be lighting is a candle of peace. That's the goal, that last verse. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap, reap a harvest of righteousness. The way we talk especially in our positions of influence, can lead to division or can lead to peace and truth. And it is important that the way we speak and the words we choose be sprinkled with the wisdom from above, not the wisdom of the world. The words of a Jesus follower must reflect Jesus, our master. I'll close with this. You may know about the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery in the book of John, chapter 8. A woman is caught in adultery and some religious leaders um, take her and they 
place her before Jesus, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, the law states we ought to punish such women. What do you say? And Jesus said, let the one who has not committed a sin be the first to cast a stone. And slowly, one by one, they all walk away. And Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one who condemns you? And she says, no. And Jesus says to the woman, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is what our world needs. Truth and compassion and wisdom. Let us pray. May we be anchored in you, Holy Spirit. May we be anchored in you, Holy Spirit. Would you please have mercy on us? Would you guide us and guide our speech? That our words would be sprinkled with peace, holiness, mercy, a willing to listen not hypocritical, but sincere. Make us this way so that we might sow seeds of peace. And in the words of our Lord Jesus, blessed are those who make peace, for they will be called children of God. I pray these things in his name. Amen.